So today, uh, I'm back in the book of Hebrews, and I've entitled this series uh, Better because Hebrews talks so much about the better that Jesus is, the better covenant that we have built on better promises, and I'm convinced that wherever we're at in life, God is wanting us to go to a better place and wants to lift us to a better place and wants to bring better things into our life. And today, I want to talk about the idea that you have a friend in high places. Um, it, most of you know that I love golf, and, um, and so I've not gone to a lot of golf tournaments, really. But in the year 2000, uh, there was the 100th U.S. Open that was at Pebble Beach in California. And Pebble Beach is one of the most uh, gorgeous golf courses on the earth, right on the Pacific Ocean, incredible place, and uh, went there and to watch the, the U.S. Open take place. And while we were there, the opportunity arose for us to go play uh, at a private course, ultra-private course, called Cypress Point. Now, Cypress Point is one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and it is, it is mega private country club golf. And we had an opportunity to go play. We had to play with a member, and uh, the member um, was a guy that was 83 years old. He used to be the, the uh, marketing executive for all of Ford Motor, Motor Company. So pretty big wig kind of guy. The week before, had played golf with Bill Gates uh, and had brought him on as a guest. This week, he got to upgrade a bit. And... Um, <laughs> play with a couple of pastors, and, and in actuality, 83 years old, with us, got his first ever hole-in-one uh, with us. Now, I'm sure as it happened, I actually kind of laughed on the inside because I thought he'd have probably rather got his hole-in-one with Bill Gates than with a couple of pastors, but it just goes to show you, God will bless you if you hang out with your pastor. And we went on to, we, when we first pulled up to this um, golf course, um, it's just, it was kind of a small little uh, open area. And, uh, and my favorite golfer was there uh, putting, practicing his putting, Phil Mickelson. And uh, it was such a tiny little spot. And this is 2017, iPhones hadn't come out yet. I couldn't have grabbed a snapshot with him. I would have loved to have done it, but also felt like a better, I think he's at a private place because he wants to be left alone. So I left him alone. So anyway, uh, we see him, we get all set up, we go out to play golf. And I know some of you guys are going, I don't get the golf stuff. That's all right. You know, j just imagine that you're, you're getting a meet and greet and taking a picture with Nickelback. Oh. Or somebody like that. Or you're meeting your favorite NASCAR guy or whatever. So uh, whatever that, whatever it is, whatever, whatever you like. So, so I'm out there, we're at, that's got a little bitty driving range, I'm hitting golf balls, and um, I, uh, I hear this voice right behind me, and I turn around, and there standing li literally from here to the pulpit is Arnold Palmer. He's standing right there, he's hitting golf balls, and I turn around, and I saw him there, and uh, I looked at him, and he said, man, you can hit the golf ball so well. I wish I could swing like you. Um, no, he actually did not say that. You knew that. Uh, but I, 
But it was an opportunity to meet the king. And uh, I, I said, Mr. Palmer, what an honor to meet you. I'd love to just shake your hand, say hello. We talked for a couple minutes and uh, that was over. Now, this whole experience of being able to go onto this ultra private, so exclusive situation was made possible because I have a friend named Andy Banfield. And you don't know Andy, but Andy is sort of royalty in the golf world and golf design world. And because he's my friend, he opened the door to something phenomenal that I would have never been able to enter into myself. Even now when I travel, I will contact him and just see if he's got a connection somewhere. And he has got me onto some places to play golf that I'd never be able to get into on my own. I want to talk for a few moments about how Jesus is your friend in a high place and how he is your advocate. So I want us to turn to um, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to get to it in just a minute. Here we go. Hebrews 4, verse 14. We're going to read a few verses, and I believe this will be helpful today. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then we're going right in the Hebrews 5. Every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. Because of it, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sins for the people and for himself. No one takes that honor to himself. He receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, this is Father God speaking to God the Son, you are my son, today I've begotten you, just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The idea that I want to talk about today is this, Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who stands in our behalf to represent us in the courts of heaven, to represent us before God. And it's not like God is against us and Jesus is for us, but the Bible says that he is this high priest that stands in the presence of God. He's almost like a a heavenly lawyer, if you will. And this idea of knowing when you know somebody, it can open doors for you, is a thing to remember when you remember that Jesus is standing in heaven advocating on your behalf. And that we are recognizing that God is not just a force. God is not just cosmic energy. Hello, we live in Asheville. But God does have force, and God does have cosmic energy. 
But I want to remind us today that there is a person named Jesus who stands and it advocates for you and for me in the presence of God. He's, he's our high priest, the one who represents us before God. So let me drill down on this and talk about some ways I think this can apply for us. Number one is this. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. The idea of confession in the Bible, uh, I was raised a, a Catholic boy in New Orleans, and, uh, and so we had, when, we were, when you're young, you have uh, first communion, you have first confession. And confession is when you sit at this little booth kind of thing that has a partition, and on one side is the priest, and on the other side is you, and you confess to your priest what you have done wrong. I'm seven. Uh, you know, it's my first confession. I'm, I'm, I'm confessing to the priest that I've cut up with my friends in church while I was waiting to go to confession. But the I... <laughs> But, so, I didn't have a lot to confess yet, right? I, I pinched my brother, I don't know, something. Um, I'm seven years old. But a lot of people think of the idea of confession as you're confessing sin, you're confessing you're wrong. But the Bible idea of confession is literally say the same thing as. So, when we are confessing, we are saying the same thing that God is saying. So if God says you are righteous, then you are righteous, and I say it too. You know, if God says you are blessed, then you are blessed, and I say it too. So this concept of confession, of saying the same thing as God says, is actually prevalent throughout the entire book of Hebrews. So Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Hebrews 4.14, we just read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, hold on to our confession. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't lose hope concerning your future, for he who promised is faithful. Now, I look at all this, and I go, here is Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. The Bible tells us to hold fast our confession. The Bible is telling us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, it's really important what you're saying. And Jesus is the high priest of what you're saying. Now, all of us have an advocate on our side named Jesus. And all of us have an accuser that's against us named the devil. And that's what the Bible says, is that the enemy actually is, the devil is an accuser. Yeah. Jesus is an advocate. The devil wants to accuse you. Jesus wants to stand up for you. The enemy wants to keep calling out your sin. 
your weakness, your inadequacy, your insufficiency, what's wrong with you? And he wants you to forget your name. But Jesus, our high priest, wants, you to, wants to keep calling out your name and forgives and forgets your sin. Come on, somebody. So Jesus is standing as your advocate, and he's calling you forgiven. He's calling you healed. He's calling you favored. He's calling you blessed. He's calling you loved. And yet there is an accuser that is also standing in the courts of heaven that is calling you a failure. It's calling you unrighteous. Am I preaching this better than some of you are amen? Because this is good stuff. There is an advocate who wants to stand for you. There is an accuser who wants to stand against you. Which one are you siding with? Like, what are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about your life? What are you saying about your wife? Or your husband? What are you saying about your kids? About your career? About your finances? About your place? I'm saying that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. What confession, what ammunition are we giving our high priest to stand in the gap? Or what ammunition are we giving to our accuser? I'm not saying we should ignore what we think is the reality of our situation. I'm saying we should seek a higher reality. A higher reality than just the current set of circumstances. A higher reality than your feelings in this moment. And I'm saying we should find a higher vocabulary to talk about our life with. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. The second thing I think that can be helpful in understanding that we have an advocate who's standing before God, our high priest, is Jesus, our high priest, is for us. So uh, Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted and all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, if you're around here at all, you hear us say often, God is for you. 
right? And, and normally, we're kind of like, he's rooting for us. <laughs> you know, that's where we're going. Like, God is for you. He wants you to win. He, want, he wants your life blessed. He, he is for you. The forces of heaven are for you. Come on, you can do it. You know, that's, but what I want to, the angle I want to take for a moment here is to go, Jesus is for you in that he sympathizes with us. He he feels it with us. Have you ever felt lonely? Jesus knows that feeling. Have you ever felt betrayed? Jesus knows that feeling. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Jesus knows that feeling. Have you ever felt disappointed in the people that are around you? Jesus knows that feeling. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. Come on, guys, we're going to pray. Goes to, goes, he's like he's about ready to go to the cross. He's sweating drops of blood. I mean, the guy is in crisis. He is facing him. Goes back. There's the team taking a nap. Thanks a lot. I think, I think a religious spirit doesn't really sympathize. It, it judges, it condemns, it, it feels self-righteous, it kind of looks down on. And so uh, it's interesting to me, Hebrews 5, what we just read, it says, it's every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for men. For he can deal gently, everybody say gently, with the ignorant and the misguided. And that, does, that doesn't mean mean. Ignorant means you just don't know. And you know, I think we all should recognize you don't know what you don't know. If you knew it, you'd know it, but now you don't know it, so you don't know what you don't know. Don't ask me to say that again. He can deal gently with the ignorant and with the misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. Because of it, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for the people and for himself. This is how it should be that people who are facing weakness and facing sin and facing difficulty should deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided. But I find that it often is the closer in somebody gets to religious stuff, the more judgmental and condemning they become. And I'm grateful to God it's a new day that people are, there are some people that are finally going, hey, wait a minute, there's not a one of us that has it together. Right? All of us have our own stuff that we're struggling with, and nobody has the right to stand in condemnation or judgment over anyone. And it's, it's a, it's a tightrope we get to walk in the day that we live in because there are certain things that the Bible says are wrong. There are things concerning sexuality that the Bible says what's right, what's wrong. 
There are things concerning marriage that the Bible says this is right, that is wrong. There are things that have to do with all kinds of arenas in life. And if you or I take a stand on biblical truth, we didn't make the idea up, but I promise you a lot of the world is not going to look at you favorably. So somehow some people think, gosh, I should just back it up a little bit. So if I'm going to be gentle, but I think that we've got to learn how to hold in balance this idea. Confession is say the same thing as. So if God says that's wrong, I say that's wrong. But I can can do it in a spirit of gentleness, understanding I'm fighting my stuff, and just because I'm strong someplace, I can't judge your weakness from my place of strength. Because there's probably a place where you're strong, where you can look at my weakness and go, why can't you get it together there? I think, I think this whole idea of dealing gently with ignorance and misguided is the way Jesus does it with us. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Third idea is this. Jesus, our high priest, shows us the path of honor. Jesus, our high priest, shows us the path of honor. So Hebrews 5 uh, says this. No one takes the honor to himself, but he receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was called by God to be the high priest in the Old Testament. So also Jesus did not glorify himself, even though he could have, but he didn't, so as to become a high priest. But he, God, who said to him, Jesus, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And just as he says also in another passage, Jesus, you're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I think when we start talking about honor, we're talking about something that is a pretty important thing. Honor is a value of the kingdom of God. To, if, you were to, if you were to put in your concordance the word honor, you would come up with 150 plus verses that have to do with the idea of, of honor. Honor means to show great respect. Honor, it means to ascribe value to. Hebrews uh, 13, 7 says, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom? Taxes due. Pay your taxes. Custom to whom? Custom. Fear to whom? Fear. Render honor to whom honor is due. 1 Peter 2, 17 says, honor all people. So, honor up, honor down, (laughs) honor all around. Right? Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the president. You never take anything away from yourself when you honor someone else. It's n- it doesn't remove anything from you to honor somebody else. And I would say if there's any arena where our world is getting it way wrong 
It is this idea of honor. Our world has gone sideways, backwards, on this idea of honor. The way our news, the way our media treats our president, it's not a political statement. It's an honor statement. The way late night comedians treat our president, I love the quiet. (laughs) The way so many people treat police is nowhere near honor. The way people are rising up to not honor our country, honor our flag, honor this place. An honor stand goes, I'm going to give you respect before you earn it. Now, you could do something that makes me realize we got to talk. Honor doesn't turn a blind eye. Honor recognizes that's the posture I'm going to take first off. When our kids were in school, we always leaned into honor the teacher, honor the leaders in your world. And they'd come home and they'd be complaining about something a teacher did or something that happened. And and 99 times out of 100, we would just go, baby, you're going to have to learn how to honor You're not going to have perfect people. And if you don't learn how to honor in a situation that is is a little bit easier, eventually honor, you're going to have to learn to honor something. You know, eventually you got to face up to honor. Whereas one time when one of our kids, there was a situation where you go, we better go talk to the teacher. Come to find out it was a pretty abusive situation with the teacher that we had to take a stand. But our 99% go was honor. So here's what I want to say about honor. Honor is a value of the kingdom of God. To give honor is a value of the kingdom of God. True honor is not taken. True honor is given. Jesus would have, could have taken the honor if he wanted to, if that was the path to getting honor. He deserved it. But he showed us the path and says, the Bible says, no one takes the honor to himself. It's given to them. Now, I've taken a long time to set up to make this statement. If honor is given, then you and I, citizens of the kingdom of God, let's give honor. Hello? Let's be givers of honor. Your parents, they might not be perfect, but you can honor. Your leaders may not be perfect, but you could give honor. Your teachers, they may not be perfect, but you could give honor. The police may not be perfect, 
but you could give honor. Jesus shows us the path to honor. The last idea I want to talk about is this, because I can tell that one's really blessing you. (laughs) But I'm convinced that honor is important. Is this, Jesus is a high priest of a different order. Now we're talking about how the high priestly ministry of Jesus impacts our daily life. So I want to drill deep for a couple of minutes. You up for that? Come on. I'm going to drill deep for just a couple of minutes. Hebrews 5, 6 says in another passage, you, Jesus, are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Everybody say Melchizedek. 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 You probably have not thought about naming your kid Melchizedek. But let me just paint a picture here for just a moment. Just I'm going to do a broad brush stroke on this one. The 30,000-foot view of the book of Hebrews is there was an old covenant, now there's a new covenant. There was an old agreement between God and man, which God established, and now there is a new agreement between God and man. And the old covenant was built on law, on rules, on obedience to those rules, The new covenant is built on you're given a new heart, grace, and a brand new priesthood that oversees this new covenant, this new agreement between God and man. So in the Old Testament, that Aaron was the high priest, and Aaron's main job often was to offer sacrifices because the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was oriented towards recognizing sin. So there was often the recognition, and what God was doing was drawing a straight line so we could see how crooked we really are. Because let's face it, we would all adjust to what we would really want. (laughs) But God has drawn a straight line, and the entire Old Testament is this idea of sacrifices being made and recognizing where sin has happened. Now, instead of Aaron being the high priest, Melchizedek is this symbol of Jesus' priesthood, and instead of an orientation towards sin, there's an orientation towards grace and righteousness. So the New Testament is this idea of grace gives you a gift of righteousness. I'm glad we're not having to sacrifice animals anymore. So who is Melchizedek? What is this Melchizedek guy? Melchizedek is an Old Testament character who literally foreshadows the priesthood of Jesus. Abraham meets Melchizedek before the law was given in the beginning pages of Genesis. Abraham had just been out on a, on a battle, had won the battle, was coming back, and he runs into this guy named Melchizedek. And it's just a brief little story about him, but it's a foreshadow, and it's God tipping his hand to where all this is headed. 
where he's going. And he's sending this Melchizedek as a, as a picture of what Jesus the high priest is going to be. So Genesis 14 says, Melchizedek, king, everybody say king, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest, everybody say priest. So he was a king and the priest of God most high, which the word, the phrase God most high is an Old Testament uh, Hebrew phrase, El Olam, which uh, there are many different words that were, that are translated to mean God, and they all give different shades of the character and the nature of God. He was a priest of El Olam, God most high. He blessed him, uh, Melchizedek did, and said, blessed be Abram of Elohim, God most high. Look at this, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high, Elohim, who's delivered your enemies into your hand. In other words, caused you to win a battle on the earth. Then Abram gave a tenth, a tithe to Melchizedek. So the idea that I want us to see is that the New Testament is this idea. Melchizedek was a king and a priest. He was a priest to God Most High, who is the possessor of heaven and earth. It's a side note, and, and I don't want to pursue it for very long here, but I just want us to recognize that the tithe, the tenth, was paid before the law was given. So it's not, a, it's not a law thing, it's, a, it's an honor thing. But the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you are a royal priesthood. In other words, you are a royal priest under the high priest, Jesus, who is a king and a priest. You are a king and a priest. I've said all that to get to this. There's a piece of the earth that God has designated for you. There's, a, there's something God wants to do in your life on the earth. Not just when you get to heaven, but God owns heaven and earth. And there's a piece of the earth that he's designated for you. A spot, a lane, a zone for you on the earth. And this, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this as we get into it further down in Hebrews. The piece of the earth that God has designated to your kingly authority is won by your priestly activity. In other words, you don't win by intimidation. You don't win by manipulation. You don't win by force. You win by worship. You win by prayer. You win by confession, by saying the same thing as God. You win by paying tithe. Because 
What we're doing is looking beyond what natural eyes can see and natural ears can hear to an unseen realm that governs the seen realm. Worship is not just the, th the three songs we sing at the beginning of church. This idea of engaging in priestly activity is what releases godly authority in your life. Am I getting that idea? So here's the four things that I want to talk about today. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Jesus, our high priest, is for us. Jesus, our high priest, shows the path of honor. Jesus is a high priest of a different order. We're going to pray in just a minute. But I want to point this story out to you. In the book of Acts, there was a man named Stephen. Stephen was preaching the gospel, and began, the crowd started to get agitated at him preaching the truth, preaching the gospel. And he, the, the thing had grown to such a fever pitch that they, Stephen was about ready to be stoned. Now, none of you have ever been stoned. Maybe recreationally you have, but it's a pretty severe situation. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing up for him at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Here's what I want to say to you today. You, you may or may not have caught everything that God said today, but I just want you to make sure you leave with an understanding of this. Jesus is standing up for you. Your high priest is standing for you. He is advocating for you. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's take a minute to pray. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Father, we come before you today. We know there are really so many forces at work in this earth that seem to be against us, but today... We love being reminded from your word that you are standing for us. You are our advocate, God, for all the good things that the Father wants to bring into our life. While your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, let me just give you this opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you've never just surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. You've never put your life into the hands of a God who loves you. And I would just love to pray with you. Let's start that journey. Maybe you're here and there was a day when you used to be close to God, but you know you're not where you used to be, where you want to be, where you could be, where you should be. And you know it's time for you to come home to the God who loves you. Or maybe you're just here today and you feel unsure about where you stand with God. I don't want anybody to leave this room 
without a strong sense of confidence, my life is in the hands of a God who stands for me. So nobody's looking around. You'd love to surrender your life to Christ. You know it's time to come back, or you just want to feel sure. You want to feel confident that you're right with God. You say, Pastor, would you pray with me? Would you just lift your hand real high and say, that's me. God bless you. Come on all over the room. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Right over here. Anybody else? Just a moment of honesty, of an honest heart that says, I'm not where I want to be, never really surrendered, I've fallen away from a place of surrender. I'm ready to put my life into the hands of God. Is there anybody else? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. Hey, I want to pray. This is for everybody that lifted their hand, but let's all pray this prayer together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I open my life to surrender to you. I know I've sinned, but I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning as I give my life to Jesus to be my Lord. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Amen.